Welcome to The Edges of Lean. I'm Bella Engelbach, and in this podcast, we explore the human and creative side of lean thinking, unusual places where lean thinking is practiced. We meet people who are practicing continuous improvement in many different flavors and styles. So come along with me on a journey to the edges of lean. Episode 45, Continuous Improvement and Radical Innovation with Dr. Heather Johnson. Dr. Heather Johnson is a scientist, an engineer, a certified quality auditor, quality management systems expert with over 30 years of experience. She has a Lean Six Sigma black belt and she's a certified project management professional with ISO experience. She has extensive work experience living and working internationally in Europe, Africa, Asia, and South America. She's also a radical innovation scholar and practitioner with a doctoral degree from the University of Maryland Global Campus. She joins me to share her insights into how to achieve radical, lean innovation in today's chaotic environment. Dr. Heather Johnson, welcome to the Edges of Lean. Thank you, Bella, for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm so glad you're here. And you have such an interesting story. So I'd love for you to share with everybody uh, how you uh, got into going back to school for your PhD um, after a very interesting international business career. Yes, thank you. It's a great place to start. Well, again, I'm Heather Johnson, and I did indeed have this very strong background working in pharma biotech med device arena um, in the quality management area, and I traveled the globe. One of my goals way back in high school was to get a doctoral degree. I knew I wanted to be a doctor, a doctor of something, whether it was MD or a PhD, didn't matter. I knew I wanted to study, but in all of that, I wanted also to have a family. So I realized back then I couldn't have both. And so I knew that I had to postpone. I'm going back to get my doctoral degree after my children, my two daughters had moved on into college. What's what's fascinating about my career, my career kind of propelled me into the area of expertise that I ended up in, which was innovation. Because when you work in the pharma biotech med device arena, you have to innovate or you become old and extinct. And 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 the the, the clients and customers and patients demand um, cutting edge technology. Um, We are dealing with different generation of people who um, I call them the digital natives because they they use, um, you know, social media, they use their phones. You have, for instance, my grandchildren are five years old. They know how to use a cell phone. They know how to skip ads on YouTube to get to what they need to. It's just fascinating to watch the, the, the dynamics within these digital natives. So you have to have that technology that forces you to innovate. Um, what, what I ended up in is radical innovation. And within that space of radical innovation falls the topic we will talk about today, which is lean innovation. 
And so, so for me, I tell people this story. My topic found me and I found my topic. We, we met each other somewhere in, in this, my traversing um, my work world. Um, I, I, I'm a scientist and an engineer by profession, but the curiosity of what makes things happen. And what's so interesting is that when I learned about lean, I said, this is what my mom taught me as a child. So I'm like, it didn't have a name, but this was it, the activities I was doing. My mom was, she, she was born during the depression. So it's all about um, making do with what you have or you don't have and finding a way around that, not allowing that to stumble you and prevent you from doing what you want to do or what you want to accomplish. And so my mom was ahead of her years in terms of that, in, in being efficient, um, building products, making things, things she did as a woman was fascinating. She had her own business um, as a child. I watched her you know, put together our own business. And so for me, I learned a lot about innovation, but still at the same time, not understanding where it would take me. And here I, I went on this wonderful journey in getting my PhD in technology management with a focus on radical innovation. So you need to you need to tell us how do you define radical innovation and how do you define lean innovation? How are they related? Yes, great question. So there is there are two um, definitions that I really love um, about radical innovation, and one is quite simply doing something we have never done before. It's as simple as that. Radical innovation can be that. But if you want to really get into the dynamics of what radical innovation is, it's bringing a change and a change that will change the way people live, the way people think, and it's developing new products for new customers. And that will be a key to the conversation I have with you today. There are elements within lean innovation Lean innovation is about not only innovating with limited finance resources. So a lot of people will instantly think lean innovation is how are you doing with less money? And it's not just a money thing. It's less people. It's less assets, whether they are tangible or intangible assets or add in this piece, because this is where my research took me to really elaborate. It's limited skills, limited knowledge. How do you innovate in that space when you don't have the right knowledge within your wheelhouse? How do you innovate when you don't have enough um, people skills? The skills part always gets missed because people think that, okay, I don't have enough money, I can't innovate, or I don't have enough people, I can't innovate, or I don't have enough assets like a building, or I have machinery or whatever, I can't 
but it also comes down to knowledge and skills. That's such a critical criteria. And when you look at what COVID-19 has done to the economy across the globe, those two things are very significant. Um, looking at skills and knowledge, every company, every organization are having to deal with that right now in the great resignation within the US, it's become a big um, topic. Yeah, so companies are not just losing people, right? They're losing the knowledge that those people gained. Correct. And one of the things, one of the things that we know is that many organizations are really bad at knowledge retention, right? I mean, that's one of the things Correct. that sets Toyota product development apart from many other, at least automotive companies product development is that Toyota is very good at the knowledge retention, which allows them to to you know to innovate on a well understood yes. platform right yes. but yes. for many companies so when somebody leaves the company you all of that knowledge walks out yes. with them right yes i'm so happy you brought that up bella because that was a big part of my dissertation as well and by the way i earned my doctoral degree in the heights of the pandemic 2020 going through a pandemic and finishing up uh, a dissertation um, is just an astronomical feat in itself. And, and indeed, to your point, the big thing that I realized was knowledge management, knowledge sharing, knowledge transfer, knowledge acquisition. These things do not get transferred. And in the pharma biotech world, you, you have so many acquisitions, so many companies coming together and guess what they leave so much information on the table one of i i was able i was very fortunate to publish an article in the journal of innovation management in april 2020 prior to me earning my dissertation and the topic was on knowledge knowledge management within the um pharma biotech world and, and looking at it through the lens of dynamic capability. And again, I elaborated on that knowledge sharing, knowledge transfer not happening and people not even doing research on knowledge acquisition and talking about that. And so these companies acquire assets and acquire people and companies and they leave so much knowledge on the table. They walk away and this is, this is why they can't be competitive in the innovation space. Yeah, I, wow, and I, I love what you're bringing out about how the pandemic and the so-called great resignation is is actually making this uh, worse. Yeah. And, and then you're seeing people, I mean, you and I, I think are of a similar age, right? You're seeing people our age, especially leaving the workforce, right? So there's, yeah. there's all of that knowledge um, yes. leaving call, as yes. well. I call it a brain drain going on where people in the baby boomers are leaving. I know prior to the pandemic, it was 10,000 a day retiring. And since wow. the pandemic, it's, it's gone up exponentially. And what, what's happening is that all these people are walking away with knowledge. They're walking away with information. And the interesting thing is a lot of them are being rehired to come back as consultants and to provide information, for instance, in the area that I work in, 
I am always getting called on because in this newer generation of folks, it's a different thinking. It's a different paradigm. There's been a huge paradigm shift. I love millennials. I love Gen Zs. I have two daughters that fall into that category. I was born as a baby boomer, but my brain thinks like a millennial and a Gen Z. <laughs> so I don't even label myself. Okay. And so, but what I have learned so much from running teams of people who come from these various generations because their way of thinking helps to elevate this topic of innovation. Um, because innovation is about meeting the needs of the customer, the client, the consumer. And the greatest need is meeting their latent need. And that's what my research bubbled up. It's something that I, when I stumbled upon it, I was like, oh yes, they have hit the nail on the head. It was something that I did not focus on. I know as a customer and a client and as a patient, what I want. And I make demands and I always think that, oh, Heather, you're just a high demand person. But when <laughs> I researched later on, I realized, no, this is what consumers, and I give you a good example about latent need. My son-in-law bought me an Alexa for, uh, as a gift. And I'm like, why do I need an Alexa? I can play Pandora on my um um, phone. I don't need it. It, it. I would just use it for music. But I order all my grocery from Whole Foods during the beginning of the pandemic and had it shipped to my doorway. Nothing new. I was doing that prior to the pandemic, but it just went to a next, the other level. What was important was that I was putting in my grocery list one time and it asked me if I wanted Alexa to do my um, grocery list. And I'm like, oh my word, there goes my latent need. Something I did not realize I needed, but indeed having Alexa do my shopping list, guess what? Frees me up to move on to something else and not worry because I hate grocery shopping. So for me, it was one of those monotonous, crazy thing that I needed to do. Now Alexa has solved my issue. So, so my latent need has been met. Something I was unaware that I wanted was met. So it's the same thing with every innovation and in lean innovation, because you have that reduced um, assets, reduced skill sets, reduced knowledge, what you're looking at is not only can I do this innovation, but should I do that innovation? That becomes the key. When you're meeting with your team, your development team, the question is, why should we be doing this innovation? What, what needs of the customer, the client, the patient, the consumer? What, what is, and if you can't identify that, then you're going down the wrong path. You're wasting because, time. Because, because, right, in, you know, in some people's classic understanding of lean, it's about waste reduction, right? Yes. So times and, and dollars spent on an innovation that has no market at all, that no one's ever going to be interested in, is essentially for, for a business organization, is waste, yes. right? So that exactly. is the ultimate waste. To, yes. And the more money you put into it, 
and then have a big late stage failure when you take it yeah. to the market. That is that is actually for some organizations a much bigger waste than all of the waste in exactly. the factory. Exactly, especially Bella. Back to the COVID nineteen scenario because one of the things and 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 in my recommendation and findings and analysis was lots of companies are now strapped for cash for people for entities some some companies went under during the actual covid lockdown they couldn't survive that lockdown there were companies who were teetering on the edge prior to the pandemic like for instance retail lots of retail organizations they were on the edge <clears throat> they know they needed to innovate they know they needed to change their way they took too long they delayed and the um pandemic was a tipping point they they went so a lot of entities like your sears and and other entities they're gone never to come back then you had other smaller entities they were cash strapped already there they lost their um foot traffic to customers and consumers coming on people not being able to access things readily and so those companies were very shaky and so you look at at that and 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 look at the companies that did survive you mentioned earlier about toyota the top eight innovative companies in the world practice exactly what i just said to you and is looking at meeting the needs of the consumer or the patient mm -hmm. or the customer and they do that relentlessly it's a mindset and it doesn't matter whether they have money or not and one of the big things that came out of my research was an aspect called open innovation where if you don't have the skills or the knowledge you need to go find it you need to go look for it and that is what's going to make the difference with companies who will survive COVID-19 moving forward into the 21st century, because you need to be willing to even meet with your competitor. And there's a term for that. It's, it's called co-opetition, meaning cooperating with your competitor. So you at times, and you know, the, the pharma business, we saw that with COVID-19. For instance, I saw Merck and Sanofi came together to put together um, um, medication, you know, researching and looking at producing um, medicine for COVID-19. You had the same thing with lots of entities across the board. They've come together to, um, to join on, on seeing what they could accomplish even with the vaccines, you had companies that made one portion of the vaccine, they may make the active ingredient, but they sent it elsewhere for the drug product to be made and to, for it to be filled to make that vaccine. So it's cooperating with your competitor. Are you willing to share some of your, your know-how, some of your trade secrets? Because people are on the IP, they are you know, intellectual property. There is confidentiality, right? I was going to say this stuff makes the IP lawyers go nuts. Oh, right? yes. 
Yeah, oh, yes. right. You can just imagine them with a with a electronic black markers wanting yes. to to black stuff out, and yes. at the same time, I mean, it's a it's really a fascinating conundrum, right? Because if you've lost knowledge, right, you don't have the knowledge. Yes. Whether you lost it or you didn't have it in the first place, right. you you believe you see this latent need in the marketplace. You wanted to deliver towards that. Like you're saying, if you don't have that knowledge and skills, you're going to have to get it somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and that means that you're going to have to look at like almost like what are the walls of my company and which are the walls of my company as sort of brick that need to become glass or need exactly. to become open doors. Are, are you lower or you have that electronic button that you lower the walls temporarily? Yeah, so right. People can cross, right? And, right. and so, yeah, that is the key that in my research, I identified that small companies, and I've already seen that as a result of COVID-19 and companies I've seen where different entities are merging and going, not only merging, but actually forming collaboration with other entities and saying, hey, let me get with you. I don't have this knowledge. For instance, I identified three key areas, Bella, that people need to invest in. And one of them is in um, technology. For instance, um, do you have the right um, information technology? Do you have access to info in internet of things? Do you have access to, um, for instance, digital technology? Um, so, you know, like using cell phones and other things of that nature as part of your business. I also looked at, um, Data, big data, how are you managing? Are you using machine learning? And are you using AI? Lots of companies, small companies don't have the money to support that. This is where you need to go. You are gonna have to buddy up with somebody, look for somebody who has that big data. Oh yeah, they, they, they can run this data and, and tell me, you know, through machine learning or AI or, or some computational um, kind of thing through one of those big computers that can search into infinity and tell you 20 years from now, this is what you need to have in place. You have to find that if you want to survive and if you want to remain competitive and sustainable moving forward into the 21st century, these are some of the things you must look into. So for me, lean innovation is it, it, such um, a sweet spot within innovation to really focus organizations, companies, um, whether big, small, um, to really look into where am I harnessing my power and how can I get others if I don't have the skills, the knowledge, the know-how, the technology, how can I get that? And being willing to take the risk. Because one of the things that I also discovered, Bella, is you as a leader need to be risk tolerant, not risk averse. If you're leading in the 21st century, I stumbled on this concept in my research that a lot of leaders said they weren't ready to lead in turbulence. And this was prior to the pandemic. Only um, a huge swath of leaders were interviewed, I think back in 2012. And they said that they 
only 18% said they were ready to lead in turbulence or chaos. What we saw COVID-19 did to the economy and the world in general, not just the economy, but our lives, our way of lives. And so guess what? That leaves with 82% of leaders are saying they don't know how to lead. So how do we get these leaders ready? So that's another component of my research added to lead innovation is how do we get folks to lead? And one of the big things is in, in looking at companies who came out of past historical chaos, for instance, the crash, the economic crash back in 2008, a lot of the companies that survived is that they specifically looked at how they could lead and they led out of the box. They came up with things that they never did before. For instance, Samsung. Samsung was a white appliance company, never did electronics. People don't even know this. But what they did is that they actually went across the globe and hired PhDs and other people to come to Korea to work with them. Because typically when you bring in a, a native Korean person and they get a job out of university, they stay in that job for, for life, whether they perform or not. And Samsung said, yep, we're gonna change the dynamics of all of that. And we're gonna bring in people from, from the ex, you know, from outside of their culture and their country. And what's interesting in that space is that the people who innovate and do the best in lean innovation are the ones who bring in that diversity. And it's not diversity only in terms of color, but it's diversity in knowledge and diversity in skills. So it's being willing to accept that, being willing to work with people who don't necessarily think like you do, people who don't speak your language necessarily, but it's being willing to, to work in that space. And so innovation touches on all these elements and these elements are impacting organizations, you know, post COVID, you know, trying to get out of COVID right now. So let's, let's talk about process then, Heather, yeah. because when we talk about, when we, when we talk about lean, you know, a, one of the things we're talking about at the heart of it is is process, yes. and so when you when you're talking about bringing together a cross company, cross cultural, cross discipline team, are there ways to get that team working together faster and to be aligned on what that um, innovation process should be? Yes, that's such a great question because again. I also need to just um, give a little cheer. I co-authored an article on virtual teams and working in um, chaos and turbulence. And, and really, it, it, we started writing this article prior to COVID-19, but it became real. And one of the things that we saw in the research was you have to go through the elements of setting up your teams. So whether virtual, which is what we have had to work with in the last two and a half years, um, one of the things that you have to do is allow people to get to know each other. And you really have to go through the phases of um, coming together to work 
as virtual teams. And it's that forming, storming, norming. Lots of people try to skip the storming part of it. They form and they wanna go to norming. And it's not gonna happen. You have to put people together and let them go through. It's just like if you were grieving and some people go from denial to acceptance and they think it's you go straight to acceptance. No, you're gonna bounce back from acceptance to denial quite a few times. It's the same thing with team dynamics. You're gonna have teams that storm like, why should I trust this person? This person is my competitor again, right? And why should I trust them? Why should I you know, divulge my knowledge to this person? I don't know who yeah. they are, who are you? Or you know what, I've been, <clears throat> sorry. I've been working in this industry longer than you. I know more than you. What are you talking about? Are you just got out of college? What, like, what do you know? It's that kind of thing where you have to go through that storming so then you can build up that trust in the team before you can even start with those processes. So that's why it's key to have a leader who has the tenacity to put these people together and this, and, and one of the things I learned in my research, that leader needs to be comfortable with being looked at as wrong for a very long time. That person has to be patient. Like, oh, Heather don't know what she's doing. Bella don't know what she's doing. Why is she putting these two people together? Oh, that group with that group, oh, it's gonna fail. You have to be willing to take all of that negative talk because out of that comes some of the greatest innovation that we have witnessed in our lifetime and yet to come. So that's why it's important when you put in these teams together. And I like the idea of virtual teams, um, co what they call co-locating, where you find a point, a, a, a place where you can meet outside of just on your computer screen. Because I'll tell you, for instance, I met someone I'm collaborating with for over a year. And when I met the person in person, they're like, wow, you're taller than I thought you were on camera. <laughs> so it's simple things like that, where it just opened, and opened up the door and you laugh, you smile, and all those walls are broken down instantly. So it's- so yeah. So you got you gotta go gotta take that time. Allow people to get to know each other, right? Um, and if possible, you know, make sure that you can get people together in person so that they can see each other as as real human beings. But I think it's very important also what you said about previously about leaders needing to become more risk tolerant because it's going to be that risk tolerance that's going to allow them to go through that storming stage and you know be confident there's still an out there's still a positive outcome out there even while people are wrangling and trying to decide you know who's more important or you know whatever whatever thing that they're going through as they come on to yes. what hopefully becomes a high functioning team so yes. it is again a lot about the leadership right yes. and how a big deal 
big deal about the leadership and I can't overemphasize that. And some people will say, well, it's not all about the leader. I've worked with people who are not interested in being leaders. There are people who are, they, they're comfortable being a follower and they're happy for someone else to take on that leadership. And there are some of us like myself who we feel we were born to lead, you know, because it, it comes naturally. It, we take on things, we take on challenges, we take on things that other people run away from. And, and so these leaders, especially coming out of the pandemic and into to leading companies in the 21st century, because we're gonna find another, it may not be a COVID-19, but there will be other challenges. We are witnessing what's going on in Ukraine right now. Those, that's a challenge for every company across the globe, what's going on there. So it's compounding that. So you're looking at um, leaders who have high risk tolerance. They will go off on a ledge and they will be like, are you coming with me? And you trust in that leader to take you to the edge, to take you on, on that tangent. And um, that's something it's like for me when, when I when I um, I've been asked that question, is this something you can learn? It's it's a muscle that you need to exercise. It's just like you go out and you run every day. You're practicing for the marathon, and you and you um, you have to build muscles and and make those muscles know that every day at twelve, I'm gonna go out for a run. It's the same thing with being risk adverse. Some people are born with that and others are not. But what's interesting is that when I look at the business schools and I look at the curricula that's currently in place, that's not even on the agenda. That's not even talked about these things. Well, well no, it's funny because you, you, you come out of a quality background, right? And so one of the things you talk about a lot in quality is risk management. So yes. a risk management is is a great place for the risk of us to be, right? Yes. Because you can identify yes. all your risks and you can figure out how to how you're going to disperse those risks. Yes. But sometimes what you're saying is if you want to get there with the radical innovation, you want to get there with the high performing team, you're actually going to have to live through the risk. Yes. You cannot you cannot just manage it. And exactly. it's, it's a very different mindset. Exactly. And I'm so happy that you've come to, to this section with mindset, because that's another big thing in my research that I talked about. It's a innovative companies have a mindset. They innovate relentlessly. It's like drinking a cup of coffee for them. That's the way they live. Every day they get up, that high-performing team that you mentioned, that high-performing innovative team, that's what they do. Big companies like Google, like um, Apple, like Samsung, Toyota, um, they are the ones that set the good example for these small and medium-sized companies are, are small companies that are run by um, maybe a solo um, entrepreneur or something like that. And these organizations tap, need to tap into that, put in people who have a different mindset into that leadership position because um, people who are in lean innovation, this mindset is such a big thing. It's about they're constantly aware of 
the, the customer, the consumer. Um, you know, in quality management, we talk about a lot about voice of the, the, the customer. And you have companies that are running that they never get feedback in understanding how their um, client feels, how their consumer feels, how the customer feels, how the patient feels. Now, when I go to the doctor or I go to get anything, I'm bombarded with um, surveys because they are learning. And they're learning not only to, to just do this automatic action of sending it out, but they need to be looking at the data and they need to be understanding what are these needs and not the obvious needs, but the needs that are latent. The, needs the, latent, the latent needs, which means they need to design the surveys in some cases differently because some of the exactly. surveys are only designed to give positive feedback back. Yes. And that's a, yes. yeah, yeah, that's a whole, that's a whole that's other a story. That's another topic and I can come yeah. back and speak on that one, Bella. <laughs> Wow. Wow. So, okay. So um, I just want to ask you one, one, one more question. So if, if an organization, and I just want to limit it, I don't want to limit it to companies because nonprofit right. organizations need sure. innovation as well, right? Of course. But if an organization wants to get started with um, radical innovation, with lean innovation, what would be one or two steps, one or two small experiments they could take to to start to move down that, that path? Well, again, I go back to my point is um, <clears throat> what, what should we be doing? What should we be, you know, you need to identify what you should be innovating. It's not, can I innovate something? Because basically most companies you can um, <clears throat> include in nonprofit, they say, yes, we can do this. We can do X, Y, Z, but it's identifying a core item. So you have to do the research. <clears throat> you have to do the legwork. You cannot just pull a rabbit out of the hat and say, you know what, let me go innovate today. You're just wasting time, money, effort. It's really understanding why am I doing this? What need am I meeting? And should we even do this to start with? And, and that's a key thing, a key takeaway for both, both nonprofits and for-profits organization. Why are we here asking the why? And the why again, and the why again to, to, to the lean process. Ask those five whys, why are we doing mm. this? What problem are we trying mm. to solve? I walk into many meetings and many mm. both nonprofit and mm. profit. And the first question I ask at that meeting is why mm. are we here? And a lot of people are very uncomfortable when I ask the question, because it's two things. I said, if you don't understand why we are here today, then I need to leave because you're wasting my time. You, I get paid a lot of money. So I'm sitting in this meeting. It's a lot of money going down the tube. So tell me, where is it? What, is, why, what problem are we trying to solve? And if people cannot articulate that, the meeting should be called off and you go back to the drawing board and come back to your meeting. What problem are we trying to solve? And then in solving that problem, do your five whys. Why and why and why? And again, it needs to be con connected to the customer. If it's not connected to your customer, your patient, your consumer, you're wasting time. It should not be, you know what? I think I can go make 
a beautiful car tomorrow. Is that car satisfying the need of the client? It's not just because you're a car maker that you're gonna make this. It's the same thing with drugs. I'm gonna go make this medicine because I think it was it would be a nice to have. Who's gonna benefit from that? Why should and we that was, benefit in that? Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's particularly for people in pharma, there's so much fascination about, you know, a new a new uh, mechanism of action. Patients actually don't care about mechanism of action. No. They're right. We get excited. Scientists get excited about it. Yeah. So it's very important to, 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 to figure out yeah. what it is that the, the patient, the customer, the client needs. Wow, you've given us so much to think about, Dr. Heather Johnson. I just want to ask you one more, two more questions. First of all, how can people find you? Yes, um, if you go to MontroseConsulting.net, you will see my, um, I have an organization called Montrose Ventures Inc. It's my own um, corporation that I've set up and as a mechanism to support organizations and companies across the board, both nonprofit and profit. A big focus that I'm doing right now is looking at small entities run by women in particular that I would love to support. That's great. Thank you. So we'll put that in the show notes. And um, tell me one more thing. What would be your one piece of advice for a young person starting out in their career? That's such a great question, Bella. And the one thing I would tell people is don't get hung up on figuring out everything and knowing where you need to be go along for the ride, go be adventurous, go explore, explore things outside of the box. You may have studied one thing in college, challenge yourself to look at something else that you never thought of going into and it will broaden your horizon and it will change the game for you. Wow, thank you, that is terrific advice. Thank you, Dr. Heather Johnson for traveling with me to the edges of lean. Thank you for having me, Bella. This is Bella Engelbach, and I'd like to thank Dr. Heather Johnson for being my guest on the Edges of Lean. What are your thoughts and questions on radical lean innovation? We'd love to hear from you. Find Heather at montroseconsulting.net or on LinkedIn and start a conversation. Find me at leanforhumans.com or on LinkedIn or comment wherever you watch or listen. And tell a friend about the edges of lean. Please join me in exploring more of the edges of lean. There's a lot to learn. And check out my friends in the Lean Communicators community at leadcommunicators.com. You'll find more podcasts and videos with lots of great new content every week. The Edges of Lean is written and produced by Bella Engelberg with support from Podcast Inc. This is a Lean for Humans production.